Oh, I'm very excited. We got a new sponsor. I want to say hi to my bookie. Just use promo code OPIE, O-P-I-E, on a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. MyBookie, promo code OPIE, O-P-I-E. There we are. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to my live stream, 500 feet above New York City. And we're going to have another day with uh, with no uh, no snow. It's like the longest drought without snow here in New York. No measurable snow for the whole month of January, for the whole month of December. What the hell is going on? I think it's uh, I think it's global warming, GH. Do I know how to pick a game or do I know how to pick a game? I was actually rooting for the Bengals and the 49ers for the Super Bowl. And, <laughs> and I lost I lost both games. Uh, but man, yesterday was um, yesterday was a lot of fun watching the the AFC championship, the NFC championship. The first game was a complete bust. First series of plays, Purdy got his elbow all sorts of messed up to the point where they're like, we believe he can't even feel his fingers. So uh, that kind of put a damper on the whole 49ers season, don't you think, and made that game completely useless. I mean, the Niners were pretty much out of it after Purdy got, got hurt on that first series of plays. And then you just sit there like a sports fan, like a dummy going, Maybe they could figure this out. And then they bring in their, what, fifth-string quarterback, something like that, their fourth-string quarterback, Johnson. And then he gets out of the game with a concussion. And <laughs> and then they have to just try to run the ball over and over again. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna work in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, they don't see the run coming where they can completely defend against the run knowing that Purdy can't even throw it more than five yards. Oh, that was so sad. The one thing I do like about the whole um, the whole Niners situation, so after Purdy got hurt, it's pretty obvious they were going to lose that game. And, <laughs> and Jimmy G is on the sidelines just smiling and having the time of his life. Someone, like, captured the, the picture. It's all over social media. And it said something like, uh, we're losing. And it, it shows Jimmy Garofalo or Jimmy G just uh, laughing on the sidelines. And, and, and it says, uh, no, you all are losing. Because Jimmy G, it's pretty obvious they're going to they're gonna move on from him. And it's not really his team anymore. So he don't give a crap. He probably thinks it's great that it all went down like that. Who knows? Did you see the dumb Philly fans on top of the bus stop? Well, Robert, that happens in every damn city. When your team wins, you do stupid things. Everybody knows that. But then again, the Eagles take the cake because they um, they won the Super Bowl five years ago. And, uh, you know, a fan or two may have, may have ate horse doo-doo. So, so maybe Philly is, uh, is the Kings. They got the Kings down there as far as uh, how they react when their team wins. After the Eagles beat the, uh, the Niners in a game that was pretty much no contest, as we all know. After Purdy went down. 
the Empire State Building here in New York City, which I could see outside this window. They lit up the Empire State Building in the Eagles colors, green and white. And New Yorkers lost their mind. They jumped on their Facebook and all their social media. How dare you? How dare you light the Empire State Building with the Eagles colors? <laughs> Just angrily typing away. They were so mad that the Empire State Building uh, lit, their, lit their building up in, in Eagles colors with a quick little, hey, man, congratulations. You're going to the Super Bowl. They're the competition. How dare you? <laughs> people, people just need something constantly to be mad at. Um, it, it looked beautiful. We saw it outside the window. And then, of course, the second game was just absolutely uh, awesome. That was a great game and made up for the first game with, obviously, the Chiefs uh, kicking a, a last-second field goal. Look, Mahomes... Burrows, you you used to put like a Josh Allen in there, but I think it's down to Mahomes and Burrows are the elite uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. And Mahomes just simply had the better game than Burrows. Burrows had a, a fine game, and it was tied until that knucklehead. How do you say his name? Osai or something like that? O-S-S-A-I. Mahomes is running um, out of bounds. They need to pick up, uh, what was it, 15 or 20 yards to have a chance at a field goal. And he was going to be short of that, so it was going to be uh, challenging at best. They were going to have to run another play, try to get into field goal range. And then that knucklehead, as Mahomes is running towards the sideline, it's pretty obvious he ain't going to gain any more yards. He pushes them. That's a huge no-no in the NFL. And they call it, and, uh, you know, they gave the Chiefs 15 yards, which made it a much easier field goal, and with that, the Kansas City Chiefs go to another Super Bowl. Uh, that Mahomes, though, man, hopping around on one leg, you know he's he's hurting big time, but now he's got two more weeks to get that ankle right for the uh, for the Eagles, and, and he's going to need that ankle uh, at 100% because the, the Eagles are no joke. They're absolutely no joke. I'm not a fan of the Eagles, even though I have a lot of roots down there in Philly, but uh, you got to acknowledge that the Eagles are no joke. So then the Empire State Building went, you know what? Why don't we light it up for the Chiefs? So they said bye-bye to the Eagles colors. And then the uh, the Empire State Building uh, lit up in the Chiefs colors, a little red and yellow action. Uh, it, was, it was cool. It was cool. It was a nice little gesture. People weren't as upset with that one because <laughs> they know, like, they know as far as the AFC goes, our Jets stink so bad. We haven't even been in the playoffs in 12 years, so they let that one go. But as soon as they lit it up in the Eagles colors, oh, my God, people lost their minds. LeBron James is a crybaby. Everyone saw the play by now. LeBron James is uh, heading toward the hoop. And Jason Tatum is heading toward LeBron James. LeBron James goes for the uh, kind of like a layup thing. And all of a sudden, Jason Tatum comes down and smacks LeBron James' arm to the point the whole arm starts jiggling. And the LeBron James, he's in really, really good shape. So you got to hit him pretty hard to get the arm a-jiggling. 
they didn't call the foul, which would have put LeBron James on the on the foul line, and he pretty much would have uh, made at least one out of the two, and the Lakers would have won that game. But instead, it goes to overtime, and when uh, LeBron James didn't get his call, and this guy gets so many calls in the NBA, it's not even funny, but this time the call didn't go his way. And what did he do? He acted just like Michael Jordan and had a nervous breakdown in front of everybody on that court. Oh, that's right. Michael Jordan never did that. Oh, LeBron, you make it so easy for these haters. So easy. Not a big uh, LeBron James fan, but I respect what he has done with his career. But he makes it so easy for the haters. He's on the court like really really like crying like a baby, <laughs> like a baby. Kobe Bryant didn't act like that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar didn't act like that. Bill Russell didn't act like that. So that uh, that clip went everywhere, and it's kind of embarrassing because, you know, LeBron James is going to be the all-time scoring leader in the NBA. It's going to happen, I think, within, within like 10 days. But now everyone's going to focus on him just uh, – crying like a baby on the court because he didn't get a call. Look, simple as this. The refs, they don't have it out for LeBron James. They just simply miss calls. And there was a day where the the video um, replays weren't that good, and we wouldn't even know the difference watching at home. But now with the crystal clear replays, it makes these umps and these refs look um, look like fools. And then that tennis dude, he did something. I don't know. That tennis dude, I love my sports, but I don't love tennis. It's stupid. That's why pickleball is taking over the world because everyone realized tennis is dumb. Let's slow it down with a big, goofy plastic ball and make the court a lot smaller. That's way more exciting than this stupid tennis. But that tennis superstar, I guess he did something because I woke up, um, was it yesterday morning? I don't know. I I woke up. It was like six in the morning and I turned on the ESP to the end and they're live from, I guess, Australia because they do things like differently when you're waking up there, going to bed and vice versa. So I I, I tuned that in just in time to see him crying on the sidelines because he did something. This is how how out of it I am in uh, tennis. I thought he was crying his eyes out because it was his last tennis match. I had no idea. I think he cried because he won again and it set some type of record. I think that's what it was. I I don't know. Yeah, Robert. Robert says it all. Tennis is ping pong standing on the table. And that's a line from George Carlin. Good for you, sir. So uh, who does everybody want in the uh, the Super Bowl? Main laws are already going. So you coming down for the big game? Man, I'm not coming down for the big game because the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, they were playing the Patriots, I believe, uh, the Tom Brady Patriots. And wasn't that the season where the Patriots went undefeated in the regular season and then they lost the Super Bowl, right? I think that's that's what happened. And I'm sitting there like a dummy, man. I got all these roots in Philly. I got a lot of friends down there. I got family down there. We go down there all the time. It's almost like a second home. And I'm sitting there rooting for the Patriots right in front of everybody. I just never liked the Eagles. So I was rooting for the Patriots in front of everybody and, and quietly like cheering inside when the Patriots, uh, the Patriots, excuse me, did something good because <laughs> I want to get my head chopped off. And my in-laws can't even get mad because like 
technically they're they're Dolphins fans first, knock it off. And then when the Dolphins aren't doing well, then they they squeeze for the Eagles. So I don't think they'll be that upset if I'm not rooting for their Eagles. Although my son is walking around with Eagles sweats because he got that for Christmas. So that's making everybody in Philly very, very happy that he's wearing his Eagles sweats. Yeah, 18 wins, one giant loss. Yeah, no kidding. Because no one talks about the fact that the Patriots were undefeated in the in, excuse me in the regular season. One giant, massive loss. When you think of losses, you got to think Scott Norwood, of course. I was explaining the Scott Norwood thing to my son, who's uh, taken an interest in football in the last year or so, and uh, he just couldn't believe it. And I'm like, that guy walks around something like 30 years later, I believe. We're talking about the kicker for the Buffalo Bills, who did his little wide right against the Giants in the 1992 Super Bowl, I think, something like that. And I, I go to my son, anything else he does in his life, he could be the most amazing person with great friends. He could be a great father. But that wide right haunts him to this day. Haunts him to this day. That poor guy. And they try to make good. He's supposedly at peace with the whole thing. But the Buffalo Bills and the, and the city of Buffalo, they're not at peace the only thing that's going to erase that Scott Norwood uh, wide right from 1992, I think it's 92, laces out. There you go, Joe. Joe knows. Um, the Bills have to win a Super Bowl, and then they can march Scott Norwood onto the field. He'll probably be an old man. He'll probably have some kind of walker at that point with the tennis balls on the bottom of the, of the walker, and he walks out to midfield. And then the whole crowd could go, oh, we forgive you. And then Jim Kelly or somebody could give him like just a little tussle. And then finally, Buffalo could move on from that uh, wide right kick from Scott Norwood. That's the only way that's going to go down. Until then, Buffalo just hates Scott Norwood. There's no way around it. Oh, I'm very excited. We got a new sponsor. I want to say hi to my bookie. Just use promo code OPIE, O-P-I-E, on a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. MyBookie, promo code OPIE, O-P-I-E. Hey, it's a new year, new you, so give yourself a fresh start with MyBookie. Whether you bet to earn or to make the games more exciting, MyBookie gives you the most for your money with their redesigned deposit bonus. All you have to do is use promo code OPIE, O-P-I-E, on a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. Using the bonus is very, very simple. Bet your deposit amount just once and you're ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with MyBookie. Bet on the NFL, UFC, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online blackjack tournaments. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet. You know that. And also win, like my bookie. At the very least, if you like this podcast, give them a shot. Check them out for yourself. My bookie. Use the promo code Opie on a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. 
Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Cause nothing compares. Nothing compares to you. So good documentary over the weekend. Yes, I did. Um, earmuffs, because just saying this this lady's name really triggers a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people out there that aren't into the feminists. I'm into the feminists. I became a feminist when my daughter was born. Cheers. But hope you did some crazy things with women back to the day. How can you say you're now a feminist? People change. Cheers. But there's Sinead O'Connor. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She had a, an angelic voice. She was from Ireland, a place that really kept women down. I know we got a lot of people that love their Ireland, but the fact remains back in the day, they really kept their women down. They are a lot better as I, as I speak today. But uh, this documentary on Sinead O'Connor was beyond fascinating. And I know there's too many closed-minded people out there. So they're like, oh, look, my numbers dropped just because I said Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> they're closed-minded. They're probably never going to watch the damn documentary on the Showtime. But it was really, really good. Really, really good. She came up out of nowhere. She had a horrendous uh, upbringing. Her mom was a complete nightmare. At one point, uh, Sinead O'Connor was something like, uh, I, I want to say like 10 years old, and the mom made her live in the yard. You know, one of those lovely moms that a few of us uh, can relate to. Cheers. The mom was so sick and so mental that she had Sinead O'Connor living in the yard for days on end, by the way. And then uh, Sinead O'Connor is a little girl's begging uh, her mom to keep the light on or something because now she's sleeping in the yard by herself and it's getting dark and a lot of kids really are scared of the dark. And the mom would dramatically turn the light off and shut the, the blinds, the drapes, the shades, whatever you call them in, uh, in Ireland. She had a, an incredible voice. And everybody wanted to you know, sign Sinead O'Connor. And that's exactly what happened. And she had those beautiful eyes. And she had uh, really nice hair. And she had the, the Irish skin. And the first thing the record company basically uh, did not want her to do was shave her head. And she was like, F you, because they were trying to they were trying to sell her sexuality and and her beautiful voice. So what does she do? I can relate to this woman because over the years, there were so many things that that bosses and managers wanted me to do. And I always took the left turn. I think it worked out for myself in general. So Sinead's like, nope. And she shaved her head. That's that's one reason why she shaved her head. She's like, no, I ain't selling my sexuality. Go F yourself. I'm doing this. So she shaves her head. Then the next thing, she's got a record that uh, getting ready to put out. And she gets pregnant at something like uh, 19, 20 years old. Out of wedlock. A huge no-no to the Catholic Church in Ireland in general. She decides she's going to have the baby. She said that the record company wanted her to have an abortion because they didn't know how they'd be able to sell the record if she was pregnant. So they were trying to convince her that the record was more important than a human life and that she should have an abortion. This is what I learned about the Sinead O'Connor. She's got a bald head. Now she's pregnant. 
And she's like, F you, I'm having this baby. And so she had the baby and the record company was really, really mad because they're like, I, we don't know how to market this thing. So then they had to take shots of Sinead O'Connor from like, uh, you know, upper upper chest up so that they didn't show off the pregnant uh, the pregnant belly. I had no idea about that. And then this is what pissed off a whole bunch of people. Her career's going well. She redid the Prince song, Nothing Compares to You. She's got the little tear coming down her face. And that made that, um, that record a monster hit. And those were the days when videos really, really mattered. And when she filmed Nothing Compares to You with the tear rolling down her face, people fell in love with the Sinead O'Connor and that damn song Nothing Compares to You, which was a, which was a Prince throwaway song. Prince basically gave it to her and said, hey, do something with this. And she did. Fast forward, her career is on fire. She's winning every award. She stuck up for Public Enemy at one of the um, music awards shows by having a giant Public Enemy logo on the side of her shaved head because there was something going on with the Public Enemy back then. I think it was something to do with uh, rap music and hip-hop music not really being acknowledged by um, a lot of these award shows, these hoity-toity award shows and Sinead O'Connor's like, yo, public enemy, I got your back. Put a giant, ridiculous public enemy tattoo on the side of her, on the side of her head. Even with that, she's still rocking. She goes on the Saturday night live. She's singing a Rasta song. Help me out. That Bob Marley did. That was word for word from a speech that I think a Jamaican politician did at the UN. Did I get that story right? I think I did. Because I always thought that song was a little weird because it was a little, it was a little wordy. But it turns out that uh, Bob Marley really liked what this politician had to say about people in general and equality. And he, uh, he took the speech and, and wrote a song. And that's what Sinead O'Connor did back in 1992 on Saturday Night Live. She's holding a picture. No one knows what the picture is. Maybe some did, but I doubt it. Knowing Sinead O'Connor now a little bit after watching the documentary. End of the song, she says, fight the real evil or something like that. And shows the, the picture of John Paul II. Man, a lot of people like that John Paul II. And she ripped up the picture after saying, fight the real, fight the real evil. And no joke, that day her career ended. I mean, it lasted a little bit after that, but it was very, very hard. She was getting booed wherever she went. People wanted, wanted to harm her. They wanted to hurt her. And then she showed up at some Bob Dylan uh, 30th anniversary event, and Chris Christopherson, he introduces the Sinead O'Connor, basically uh, saying how brave she is to, to go after these tough topics like the Catholic Church. And she walked out there and uh, half the crowd cheered and half the crowd booed. And quickly after that performance, well, first she broke down on stage after she sang her song, crying like a little baby. Chris Christopherson is, uh, you know, comforting her and she walked off stage. And that was pretty much it for Sinead O'Connor. And that was like 1992, 93, maybe. And she went bye bye, but she never went away. She continued to release record after record after record. But that was back in the day when if you didn't have the record companies backing you, 
And if you didn't have radio radio stations playing your music, you were you were done. No one knew who you were. Nowadays, you can pull off some of the Sinead O'Connor stuff, and certainly artists do. And if uh, radio doesn't want to play you and, and whatnot, you could release your music yourself and you still could have some kind of career. But back then, everyone said, nah, nah, nah to Sinead O'Connor. And she had to go bye-bye. It took balls uh, for what she did. And I know that'll piss off people by me saying that, but it took balls. You know, the abuse of the Catholic Church uh, was well known for a very, very long time. She brought it to everyone's attention on the SNL in 1992 with the ripping of the uh, the picture of the Pope. And, uh, you know, you fast forward a couple decades and then the Catholic Church finally starts admitting to a lot of this abuse that did go on. Look, Joe is mad. Joe is mad. <laughs> I'm not pissed at what you're saying, but she's extremely mentally ill. And he never forgets, says, how do you know that? Have you ever had tea with her? I mean, she's got absolute issues from her upbringing. That's that was made clear in the documentary. But uh, how do you how do you know that Sinead O'Connor is extremely mentally ill? None of us know that type of thing. But she was ahead of her time. And um, and 20 years later, she people. Some people, because we, we talked about this recently, no one wants to admit they're wrong. But some people are like, hey, I think, uh, wow, she was trying to warn us, warn us back in, uh, warn us? She was trying to warn us back in 1992. And now all these years later, I think she was right. Nothing compares to you. And then there was a kick in the balls at the end. So the Sinead O'Connor... She really didn't have a lot of hits. Um, she had the Nothing Compares to You, but she, she, that song, she redid the Prince song. I think she was like 21, 22 years old. So she had her whole career ahead of her. And if she didn't do the, the, the ripping of the, the Pope picture and these other things, she probably would have had a really, really solid career. And as we sit here in the year 2023, we probably would know a whole bunch of uh, Sinead O'Connor uh, songs, but it wasn't meant to be, obviously. The whole documentary, I'm looking forward to hearing Nothing Compares to You, uh, her version with the tear coming down her face. They keep teasing it. They show the, the iconic picture and the video, and they show some of the, some of the behind the scenes of the video shoot. They never played the song. And I look at my wife, and I'm like, well, I guess maybe it's going to be the grand finale of this documentary where they just play the song as the credits roll, right? And at the end of the movie, they show uh, a current-day Sinead O'Connor, and uh, she's singing some just garbage song, i got to be honest. <laughs> some song no one cares about, and now she wraps her head and... She looks all right for a, an older lady. And it's obviously a very current performance. And there's no nothing compares to you. And the credits are rolling. I'm like, what the F? This was the kick in the balls. They put on the screen that the Prince Estate refused uh, the use of their song, Nothing Compares to You. They would not let her use the song in her own documentary. And I'm here to say, whether you love or hate uh, Sinead O'Connor, she made that song massively popular and massively huge. Who the hell do the Prince people, Prince isn't even alive, 
Prince would have said, yeah, use the, use the song in your documentary. He absolutely would have said it. But the people that now run the Prince estate, they're like, Sinead O'Connor, we will not let you use the song that you made massively famous and huge. They make money off that her version of that song to this day, and they wouldn't let her use the song. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is just unbelievable. Oh, I want to say a special hi to the subscribers of my Instagram, Opie Radio. While those games were were being played yesterday, uh, we were in the chat room just chatting away. You know, we might have one member that gets a little wordy with his with his chats as we're all talking football. We all have this person in our lives. We're all talking football. It's a nice little group. We're about 20 strong. You just click subscribe on my Instagram, Opie Radio. And we're talking about, oh, my God, Purdy, you think he's coming back in the game? They're saying that he can't even feel his fingers. We're all about the game, every single play. It's like, oh, my God, did you see that? All this stuff, right? And then we have one guy that just takes dramatic left turns, and all of a sudden he wanted to talk about early Genesis. (laughs) Early Genesis. And the brains behind Genesis, he says it was Steve Hackett. And we're like, we just want to know if Purdy's going to be able to play in the second half. Why are you talking about Genesis? As I look to the horizon, we have no sunrise. And once again, no snow here in New York City. Officially, I think it's today we set some kind of crazy record. The longest we've gone in something like 50 years without snow. But it's not climate change. It's not global warming. This just happens. I love the argument. This just happens from time to time. A politician told me this, and I'm just repeating it. A politician is telling you what they know about global warming and climate change. Boy, are we effed. Oh, not as bad as uh, hashtag... NFL rigged that was going on yesterday. There are a lot of people, not just a few. There are a lot of people that are convinced that um, that the fix is in as far as the NFL goes. They're convinced of it. They, they truly believe that the NFL, you know, you got these players, right? They put their bodies on the line every Sunday. They get the shit kicked out of them. Every Every snap of the ball could be their last play in the NFL. Interesting thing about the NFL is when when you see a player uh, carted off the field, to us, we're like, oh, that sucks. I hope he's all right. But you go back to worrying about the game, right? But to a lot of these players, you're watching them leave the field for the last time. You never hear from them again. They become nameless, faceless people. And with that said, these guys literally putting their bodies on the line They're going to allow the NFL to be rigged. Are you nuts? You are crazy. There would be at least, at least a a few players that would speak up and say, yeah, man, they shut us down and they said uh, they want the Chiefs and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And we just have to go with it. Well, stopping that guy's hard part of the script too. Oh, a video came out of DeMar Hamlin finally thanking everybody. It was so obvious it was DeMar Hamlin, and he had a laundry list. I'll be honest. His thank you video was, his thank you video was a little wordy. I got to be honest with you. And I love the DeMar Hamlin, and I consider myself a Buffalo Bills fan, but his, his uh, thank you video was a bit wordy. 
But it was obvious it was DeMar Hamlin. Oh, that doesn't stop the people. They found a, a, they found a great lookalike because we all know that he's no longer with us. Oh, God, shut up. Nothing compares to you.